You're listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Our guest today is Eric Chen, CEO of Injective Protocol. This episode is brought to you by the Bitcoin.com exchange, the exchange you can trust. Buy and sell Bitcoin as well as 250 digital assets. The Bitcoin.com exchange is secure, fast, easy, and reliable. Register within seconds and buy crypto with a credit or debit card. Join our community of traders now. Exchange.bitcoin.com. I'm your host, Dustin Plantle. Join us as we dive into the world of economics, politics, tech, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. For even more crypto-related news, sign up at news.bitcoin.com or follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin.com. Now let's bring on our guest. Eric, welcome to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Hey, how's it going? Uh, thanks for joining us. So Injective Protocol, who is Injective? Yeah, so Injective was made by uh, me and my co-founder, uh, Albert, back in 2018 when we had the vision of building a fully decentralized uh, exchange. And slowly over time, we've been, you know, hashing out the infrastructure, uh, building what it needs uh, to become a fully decentralized order book-based exchange that truly scales in unprecedented speed. Um, and just in general, you know, supports an extremely robust infrastructure uh, so that, you know, all types of trading is even possible uh, on Injective. And now flash forward to now, we have, you know, our Solstice test live uh, for a couple of months now. Um, we've been building on top of Cosmos SDK and really grew a great portion of the Cosmos ecosystem as well. And just in general, um, we've been driving the kind of like spearheading the entire uh, movement around uh, decentralized derivatives. And so your background, I mean, what really set you up to be able to start this kind of company? Yeah, so I would say like before uh, I started Injective, I was uh, working mainly on deploying market neutral strategies at a fund I was working on based in New York. And so back then, um, I was just dealing with a lot of, you know, the pains of uh, these early exchanges. Um, We had to, you know, uh, offload a lot of risk, uh, uh, basically factor in uh, exchange hacks, you know, front running and a lot of, you know, uh, uh, address, uh, uh, IP address, uh, whitelisting and stuff like that. So it just became extremely unfair, uh, uh during that time around 2018, where we kind of realized that, uh, there's a very fundamental need around decentralized exchanges. And even back then we kind of see a very, very, um, major potential around the fact that decentralized exchanges wall to wallet, it's a lot more efficient. And as we move uh, closer to closer to, you know, uh, crypto native infrastructure rather than, you know, centralized custodian infrastructure, um, it'll have a significant boost in uh, user experience uh, uh, as soon as, you know, these folks start figuring out the wallet infrastructure and everything like that. And so what sort of problems then ultimately do you think need to be solved in the cryptocurrency space or in the digital asset space? Yeah, I would say like right now, the base layer infrastructure uh, like Ethereum and a couple other blockchains are still pretty slow. Um, for example, you know, right now, a lot of uh, the projects and dApps built on top of this, uh, Ethereum simply can't really um, scale properly or can you re- uh, can really, you know, fulfill their value proposition uh, um, just because Ethereum uh, gas costs is extremely expensive. It's eating into the cost of, you know, most of transaction and most trades so that it becomes almost like a rich man's game. 
uh, if it costs like almost ten dollars to send a transaction or execute a Uniswap trade, then that means that you know uh, even a hundred dollar or even a thousand dollar transaction, that's still you know point one percent or one percent eating into your uh, tr- trading cost, and that's you know way higher than any type of uh, centralized exchange typically deals with. Now, why are so fees saying, so high, though? I mean, why why are the fees in the space so so expensive? Yeah, it's mainly due to you know the inherent design of Ethereum, their, uh, uh, the way they set up the gas calculation. Um, since Ethereum is just such a popular pa- uh, platform in general, um, you know when it comes to DeFi, um, there's a lot of demand uh, for uh, the inclusion into the blockchain. There's a lot of frontrunner really, you know, amping up the gas costs because um, for their calculation, it's completely worth it. Uh, um, whereas for you know the general folk. Ten fifty dollar uh, tr- transaction cost is completely not worth it. And where do you see it going ultimately? Then, yeah, I would say that you know a lot of the current uh, L one infrastructure is going to move off of Ethereum. Um, you know, like there's a lot of developments around uh, zk rollup, optimistic rollup, um, and a lot of L two infra. You know, like what Injective is building as well, um, and obviously. Um, still like most of the security or the final settlement is still going to happen on ethereum as it should but uh all the frequent transactions all the data intensive or computation intensive uh transactions will not be happening on ethereum um you know and even during uh, uh even if uh, eve 2 pans out and it has full migration um i sincerely doubt that you know like uh l2 is just gonna uh, lose their value proposition just because even for eve 2 there's still a lot of demand uh, well, there's still a lot of, you know, um, shortcomings when it comes to uh, building a full, uh, you know, decentralized exchange stack that are user friendly. And when we look at the, the space overall, I mean, it, it's fascinating that the, the world of this, this emerging asset class is it's on 24-7, which means a CEO like yourself would also be expected to be on 24-7. So, what does it take? How many hours a day do you have to put in, or do you need to put in? And then uh, I'd say, how do you how do you still find time for you? Um, I think you know part, uh, a large part of my identity and you know like my life is surrounding crypto, so we don't really make compromises uh, in that front because kind of work is life, life is work. Um, so so I think like in terms of dedication, we're pretty much up like twenty four seven, and like one call and I'm up. Um, that's just like how we've been operating for the past, you know, uh, two years or so. Um, uh, generally, you know, my sleep schedule is pretty messed up at this point. Sometimes it's the average uh, sleeping uh, sleep time was like around four hours, I believe, uh, from my sleep tracking app. So generally, it's like you know, pretty uh, uh, pretty intense, especially during this quite uh, crazy week. And Bitcoin has been on a little bit of a, a roll here as of recently. I mean, we look at the last March and April, the, I would say necessarily the, the Black Swan event. Um, what do you think has been driving this demand for Bitcoin specifically? Yeah, I mean, like there, there are a few catalysts, but there's also, you know, a few like fundamental moves. Uh, I would say, you know, it's mainly the larger institutions uh, shifting their perspective on Bitcoin as a store of value. Um, people really migrating, um, uh, uh, you know, their investment portfolio towards the larger, uh, uh, you know, crypto ecosystem. Um, you know, uh, Coinbase uh, app download has already you know shot up within the uh, uh, app store ranking. So, so those are you know some of the fundamental moves. 
Um, and then, you know, with the uh, Wall Street Bets community right now, uh, really uh, shifting a lot of users towards, uh, you know, the crypto community. Um, you know, recently, uh, Binance has some record, uh, record high signups. Um, so that's really, you know, some of the catalysts. And recently, uh, I think Elon Musk also changed his bio to uh, hashtag Bitcoin. And that's really what became, you know, the final uh, uh, final trigger to like uh, shoot up for this price performance recently. Now, him doing something like, now I, I don't know Elon, he could be one of the biggest whales out there, or he may, may, may not be. But what do you think, why is there such a fascination with, with Bitcoin to people around the world and news stations around the world? Yeah, I mean, like, the key thing here is just that um, right now there's a strong distrust in uh, the dollar. Um, and, you know, like, generally people kind of uh, uh, encompass it towards a greater uh, institutional or... Um, uh, political or uh, even the forces around the uh, concept of Wall Street. So, um, you know, companies start to, uh, I guess, diversify their assets, you know, uh, uh, using Bitcoin as a hedge against a, a hyperinflation that they feel like might be coming. Um, you know, a lot of these uh, asset management firms are also seeing Bitcoin as a more viable candidate to inc uh, include within, you know, general portfolios. Um, I would say that that's you know the main drive for it. Um, essentially, it's a distrust in uh, the Federal Reserve um, and you know the current condition where the inflation is just or the expected inflation is just going off the roof. And that printing of money, I imagine, long term will have some sort of repercussions in all around the world. That one of the, the ways the system is kind of dealing with itself is just print more. Yeah, it is an unprecedented time. I understand, you know, why the Federal Reserve might do it. Um, you know, they, they probably, uh, all of them uh, probably wrote or uh, read the same uh, macroeconomic book we've all uh, read or uh, studied. So um, it, it is, you know, at the end of the day, their attempt at re-stimulating the economy, but the degree of doing so might be uh, a little bit too extreme, uh, I'm sure in most people's opinion. So that's why, you know, like um, um, just in general, that's why there's a distrust in the uh, 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 dollar. But now why decentralization? Because I am not one of those that is anti-systems, anti-governments. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I pay my taxes. I, I don't like taxes, but I pay my taxes. So why yeah. is there a need to have something decentralized? Yeah, um, I would say that, you know, like um, just in general decentralization, um, you know, for people who don't really care about um, centralized uh, operators or, you know, trust in a single uh, uh, a single system, which I would assume is actually most people, um, you know, we, we live in a pretty centralized world. We live in, you know, centralized platforms. We uh, most of our day to day life, uh, we rely on trust on like multiple parts of, uh, um, you know, uh, centralized companies and stuff like that. So it is kind of baked into our um, expectation and belief. But I would say that, you know, like beyond, if you look through uh, decentralization as an ethos or as a philosophy, what it also brings about is just a greater uh, borderless transaction. It creates a lot more frictionless, you know, uh, remittance and payments. Um, you know, like, for example, if you try to ship, you know, a ton of gold uh, from the U.S. to Europe or vice versa, that's probably going to take weeks or days. And even just sending money itself, it's probably going to take a day or, you know, for larger sums, it's probably even going to take, you know, two or three days. So it makes a, it, it barely makes sense for just in general. 
um, because, you know, for something for, for like a financial system or the global technological system that's like evolving so quickly today, um, the money, the monetary system is just, you know, pretty stagnant, um, especially with, you know, global payments and everything. And so then tell me then your company, how does it work alongside of this, this system or this infrastructure, this highway? Yeah. So essentially what we do is that we democratize risk access. The whole point of like derivatives and futures uh, is not to trade the underlying because building the underlying infrastructure uh, requires a lot of work uh, way beyond what we can do. For example, if you wanted to do tokenized stocks, you can't possibly tokenize every single stock in the world, but you can definitely launch a futures market extremely quickly. So we, what we're trying to do is to really uh, create a global access so that, you know, let's say uh, someone really wants to gain re- uh, exposure to uh, uh, Asian equities or, you know, like Canadian uh, cannabis uh, stock market. Um, there are market makers in Canada who are willing to take on a short side and create uh, a market around this, uh, this futures market. But the only way uh, for some, some folks from, let's say, you know, uh, disenfranchised nations or, you know, like some, some of the more regulatory uh, 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 stricken uh, nations, such as, you know, like, um, uh, uh, let's say, like uh, the, the Middle East or, you know, like um, uh, uh, some, some parts of Europe. Um, the only way for them to do it is probably through crypto because uh, um, that really uh, shot down and brought down a barrier. As long as you have access to crypto, a fiat gateway or crypto infrastructure, you can access to this whole suite of, you know, financial uh, uh, system where beyond just um, uh, crypto native uh, ecosystem uh, risk exposure, but you can also get risk exposure to, you know, a lot of different uh, assets around the world. And where do you see it ultimately then evolving? I mean, what, what happened when Bitcoin launched and now this ecosystem of other ideas and projects from, you know, what became originally was the Henry Ford. All right, I've got this Model T became other yeah. companies and other ideas and other. Now some of these widgets fly off the ground. What happens next from this? Because this isn't the end. I mean, we're I would argue this is merely just the beginning. So what is that hoverboard? What will be that thing that comes from this? Yeah, um, it it's really, you know, like um it's really hard to say, you know, people can say a lot of things, for example, you know, this is a fully decentralized web infrastructure. Um, uh, people call it, you know, web three, um, people will say that this is going to be like completely change the global uh, financial and monetary system. You know, obviously we're still a little bit far from that, but that is certainly what I hope It's essentially like a global borderless, uh, financial, um, you know, uh, internet or even like value transfer infrastructure that you know doesn't really have any fundamental barriers uh, that uh, stops me from uh, um, hopping through multiple gateways or multiple hoops uh, to talk to someone in Cal- uh, Canada or transact with someone in Canada or Mexico or like um, uh, uh, on the other side of the world. So I think this is kind of like where we're trying to go. Um, is that you know um, eventually uh, the hope for a lot of people is that these crypto ecosystems and, you know, these blockchains will be able to replace a lot of the uh, uh, monetary or remittance infrastructure around the world. And whether it's not just, you know, for value transfer, it's also for, um, you know, risk, uh, risk exposure, um, you know, like uh, a trading infrastructure uh, and stuff like that. Advice you have for other entrepreneurs? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, st- start off with uh, contributing open source, um, definitely read up uh, on, um, you know, like right now, like one of the most interesting thing around crypto is that uh, Twitter and Medium and a lot of these posts are extremely quality. 
and you don't really get to how people people in crypto don't really get the luxury to you know just read a book and have a fundamental understanding of how the crypto ecosystem works because they're just moving so quickly. There's sectors and subsectors and sub subsectors that are you know constantly evolving, constantly you know uh, uh, self adjusting to, uh, to to fix any you know, previous issues. So I would say yeah, like keep an extremely uh, uh, close touch um, onto the ecosystem. And, you know, sometimes uh, even like set up an anonymous account to like express your opinion, express your analysis, because I know that's how a lot of my friends got started uh, in the DeFi space. Uh, it's certainly very interesting. And how do we learn more about your protocol? Yeah, you guys can learn more about Injective at uh, InjectiveProtocol.com uh, or our Twitter, um, Injective Labs. Um, and then from that point, uh, you know, on our uh, Twitter profile, there's a little link tree where you can access every single uh, resource around our ecosystem. Thank you again for sharing your story on the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thank you so much. You've listened to another episode of the Bitcoin.com podcast. Subscribe at news.bitcoin.com, where your journey begins.